My sins have been paid for. I am free. I am forgiven. I am chosen. I am loved. I'm adopted. I'm kept. I'm secure. But that's the only ground to stand on if I'm actually going to live the Christian life. You're listening to The Chopping Board, a weekly podcast from City Life Church where we have short, informal conversations about the Bible and the meaning it has for our lives. If you didn't get the chance to catch last week's sermon, I'd recommend going back and giving it a listen so that you can pick up with us where the sermon left off. All right, friends, welcome to The Chopping Block. Back here with Pastor Andy Atkinson talking about 1 Peter. This week we were on 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25, talking about the atonement of Jesus, talking about Jesus' example for us and how that really empowers us to live the Christian life. But before we dive in, Andrew, you started with uh, kind of a story about WWJD bracelets. Oh, yeah, baby. What would Jesus do? They were a big deal. They were. They come in black, red, green. Blue. Blue. I think I had a black one maybe at some point. But you you, you talked about this kind of fad that swept, especially evangelical churches, the mid-90s, early 2000s. They were kind of everywhere. Lifeway bookstores made a lot of money off of those WWJD bracelets. <laughs> so here's my question. We, we both admit we probably had one at some point. Outside of WWJD bracelets, what is your favorite childhood fad that you got swept up into? Man, that's such a touch, tough question. Um, do y'all remember Pogs? Do you know what Pogs are? <laughs> I, I've heard of them. I don't know that I know what they are. <laughs> they were these little cardboard discs uh-huh. that you would collect, and you would battle your friends for their pogs. So you had what was called a slammer and it was basically like a, a, a silver dollar size piece of metal. And these slammers could get pretty fancy. So, you know, it was like a, it was a flex. If you I had, think I remember this. if you yes. had a fancy slammer, but you would basically put your pog up against theirs and then you'd, you'd hit, throw your slammer down and if it flipped their pog over you got to keep theirs okay and if and so it was basically like you would battle and they Isn't would like they would they would try to take yours and you would try to take theirs and you that you you could carry these like plastic tubes and carry your pogs to school right. and you'd be like at recess like competing kind of the older version of that is like the tops the spinning tops we try to knock each other out and win their and uh, I would say my favorite fad was probably Pokemon. I was pretty pretty typical for middle school. I think is when it blew up, and I had some Pokemon cards. I had a I had a uh, holographic char- holographic Charizard, a Japanese holographic Charizard, which was pretty rare. And I remember I was trading with this guy named Jonathan Montgomery. Shout out to you, Jonathan Montgomery, in my neighborhood one time. And then I went home. You think he's listening right now? I went home, and then I never found my cards again. I don't know that he stole them. I'm not saying that, Jonathan, but somehow my cards weren't there anymore. (laughs) I just need to say that out loud. When I was in middle school, it was before Pokemon. (laughs) This is the whole show. (laughs) We'll just talk about fads. Magic the Gathering. 
was a yes. big deal. So it was same concept as Pokemon. Uh oh. Now yeah. we're getting into sketchy oh, territory. Know, Andy was in the, 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 fundies, mnemonic, the mnemonic realm. The fundies just shut me down, bro. <laughs> you can't uh, say fundies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, friends. Welcome back to the chop block. Uh, we're talking about First Peter chapter 2. And uh, and really, the reason you brought that up was this whole idea, right? Like the idea of what would Jesus do? It's a, not a bad question, a good question in a lot of ways. But really, we don't have the power to follow Jesus' example, to follow him, to live for him in and of ourselves. And that was kind of your opening right. kind of line. Well, because in this section of the letter, Peter does call believers to follow the example of Jesus. Right. He's, you know, it's a section where he three or four times uses the language of submit. He calls believers to submit to every human authority. He calls slaves to submit to their masters. And then he points to Jesus as the example right. of one who submitted both to authority and to those who, who oppressed him. And, you know, and so Jesus is our example, but the, the pivot is that in verse 24, verse 24, I think Peter takes us deeper, right? That Jesus is more than an example and that ultimately we can't follow his example unless we know that he's more than that. Unless, and, and, and unless we're tapping into that power source of, not only Christ's example, but his atonement, we're going to find it not only difficult, but impossible to, yeah, live, so, to live in his pattern. So the power for the Christian life comes through the cross and the gospel. Right. And that really kind of took that turn in verse 24 when Peter writes, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. But you just use a buzzword atonement. Um, he himself bore our sins in his body. Maybe just like theology 101. First, just give us a definition of atonement. What do we mean when we say that? Well, atonement's the idea of Christ paying uh, for our sins that, that on the cross or on the tree, as Peter uses, um, Christ was accomplishing something. Mm-hmm. You know, so sometimes people want to say, well, well, Christ's death was exemplary it was it was the uh the exemplar par excellence of of love that he was willing to go all the way to the cross to show his love to us um or they want to put forth christ as a moral example but what peter's saying is something more happened on the cross than merely um, a demonstration of love it was a demonstration of love but that the cross accomplished something yeah, and it was the putting away of our sins that there was something that had to be dealt with a debt, a debt that had to be paid. Yeah. Um, and that Christ paid that debt on the cross. Yeah. That he was putting away our sins. Yeah. And you specifically used the phrase substitutionary atonement uh, when you were, when you were preaching on Sunday, sometimes the tag on there is penal substitutionary atonement. There's lots of conversations in theological academia about uh, this idea about you know, theories of atonement, views of atonement. Um, there's different ones from, from you know, kind of the demonstration of the moral excellence, the, the example theory. There's Christus Victor, right? That, that Christ, what, what's happening is Christ's uh, conquering and defeat of the cosmic powers of Satan um, of the rulers and principalities that we hear about in Scripture. There's the ransom theory, 
Um, essentially, what Christ is doing is paying, He's buying us back, buying us back from 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 the devil, from right. Satan. So, you know, there's these different theories, and 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 maybe even right now some negative views of uh, the idea of substitutionary atonement. Like, why do you think? Why do you think substitutionary atonement is it? Uh, why why is it the thing that we should that that that's you know, making the best uh, argument of what's in the biblical evidence, the biblical text? But also, why is it important for us as believers just to believe this doctrine? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there are aspects of all of those theories that are true. Right. Um, and so m- multiple things are happening mm. in Christ's death, um, in his crucifixion. But at the heart of it, I think, is this idea of of substitutionary atonement. And the reason why I think that is because I think the scriptures get us there. Like you're just going to have a hard time getting around that being at the heart of this. Like, so in our focus text, you know, Peter uses the language of bearing our sins Mm -hmm. and, and Peter is actually doing um, an exegesis or, you know, he's, he's, he's doing a study of Isaiah 53 where the prophet Isaiah is, is telling of this one to come who suffers on behalf of the people. Mm -hmm. And that, that, you know, upon him, our sin was laid. You know, that he bears our chastisement. That he's um, pierced for our iniquities. And yeah. that by his wounds we are healed. And so it's this idea of one suffering on behalf of the many. Um, and bearing their penalty in himself. And, and I think that's critical language that Peter says. That he bears in his body. That Christ becomes, in a sense, uh, the absorber. Yeah, of the penalty of sin, and in that sense, that Christ is actually pouring out, uh, or God the Father is pouring out on Christ the the righteous uh, penalty and punishment for sin. Okay, that's great. Thank you for saying that. that. That transitions us really well. So one of the caricatures of this view is that it's divine child abuse, it's cosmic child abuse that the Father is essentially taking out his uncontrollable anger and wrath on this innocent son. And, um, and you know, that's a real struggle for some people. Uh, what do you say to that, to those who might say, you know, their substitutionary atonement is part of, of what it means, what Christ did on the cross, but it's definitely not the heart, and, and, and you're probably missing the heart of God if you think that's the heart because God's not this angry, wrathful God. Right. Yeah, a lot of times people hear the word wrath and they immediately have a view of God being this vindictive or capricious, angry being. And I think having a a, a classical understanding of the impassibility of God, Mm -hmm. meaning that he's not emotional in the way that we tend to think about that, um, but that he's consistent. And so his his wrath is not capricious. Um, It's not reactionary. Um, and, and some of this ties into the timelessness of God, that he is who he is. As God reveals himself, he says, I am that I am. He is the eternally present one. And that would include, you know, the pouring out of his, his wrath, um, that that's not reactionary. Yeah. Um, that's rooted in the essence of who God is, his holiness, which is his uh, objection to sin. And he does not and will not accept sin. And so Christ um, willingly imposes himself as the one to absorb 
the judgment of God against sin. Mm -hmm. So it's willing. I think that'd be part of my answer. Um, But two, I think you quickly fall into a view of God that divides Father, Son, and Spirit when you start to make this argument of cosmic child abuse. Like, we confess that God is three in one, and he is inseparable in essence, and therefore it's God himself. Yeah. Who is stepping into the role of um, punishment absorber, mm-hmm. um, sin payer on the cross. And so we can't divide God. Jesus says things like, um, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord and I take it up again. No one's forcing Jesus yeah. to do this. He's willingly do it willingly doing it and and that's what makes it so scandalous and remarkable mm-hmm. is that you know as philippians 2 puts it uh he humbled himself he relinquished the glories of heaven yeah he did not think equality with god a thing to be grasped but emptied himself and willingly steps into this this role of servant of yeah. sufferer yeah um this is love this is grace in its fullest display i think that's really powerful and you kind of said this off air and you mentioned it just now but maybe just to circle back to it real quick you know the doctrine of the trinity really holds together the atonement our view of the atonement right um and 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 it also rejects the idea of cosmic child abuse uh, because really what you have to do to get there is is have a you said tritheism What's tritheism for those who are listening? Ultimately, it makes God into three. Yeah. It it loses the idea that God is one in essence. So he's revealed himself as three in one, but but, uh, unified in in every divine attribute. Yeah. So it's God himself who bore our sins in his body on the tree, which is outrageous. Yeah. Super scandalous. (laughs) Yeah. Um, well, thanks for, for helping us there. I think it's really important. You know, a lot of times there's these conversations going on in theological academia or, or kind of in the ivory towers that, that don't hit lay people, but you, you can still be shaped by things that you're hearing or not hearing. And so, you know, I appreciate it. I think offline you said you kind of take a kaleidoscope view. Uh, is that how you said it? Of, of the atonement where like, yes, Chris, Chris is Victor, Christus Victor. Yes. Amen. Jesus conquered the powers and the rulers and authorities. He's defeated sin, death, in uh, all of that, right, on the cross. But but we do think this idea of substitutionary atonement is is at the heart. Right. I would say, yeah, it's it's kaleidoscopic in the sense that it that there are multiple angles at which you can look at the cross right. and and our salvation. Um, and we do well to see it. In, in this variegated way, that we that we see it from all of its different angles. But at the heart of that is going to be this idea of, of substitutionary atonement. Yeah, even thinking 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, uh, like, I, I, I pass down to you what was of first importance, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, right? right. For our sins is, 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 is really at the heart of the gospel. Well... Appreciate that, man. Uh, I think it's a really important topic for for us to think through. And you said kaleidoscopic, which sounds way cooler than me seeing kaleidoscope. <laughs> so I appreciate you uh, helping me uh, get my theological terms well. 
Hey, so I think we'll just finish. I think we got about, uh, you know, eight to ten minutes here. Let's get practical for just a second for our people because your heart here, while the gospel is at the heart of it, you really wanted to help people think through how do we actually live this Christian life, have the power to live this Christian life. And you said uh, something that I thought was really important uh, early on in, in the, yeah, here it is, uh, in the sermon. Often the issue in our lives is not a lack of knowledge, but it's a lack of sense of power. It's not that we don't know what to do. It's that we don't have the strength in ourselves to do it, which, man, that, that made me think a lot because, you know, I know, you know, even your last story about Jeff Vanderstelt and the guy he was, was uh, counseling through his struggle with pornography. Like, I know that Christ died once for all. I know that Jesus loves me, but sometimes that doesn't hit me at the I don't know, the practical street level when I'm actually trying to live this out on a daily basis. Mm. So, you know, you, you, you go to verse 25 and it says, so having died to sins that we might live to righteousness. Help us understand what does it really mean that we as Christians have died to sins and why is this so important for this daily battle with our own indwelling flesh and sin? Yeah, I, I think you see the New Testament authors dealing with this Pretty consistently, you definitely see both Peter and Paul um, dealing with this idea that there there seems to be this natural inclination to go well. the The gospel is the message that gets me into the kingdom. It's the message that gets me freed from the penalty of my sin. But then, the living of the Christian life uh, is really about me you know, doing this on my own. It's really about me uh, trying to work the list, to do better, to try harder, that sanctification becomes uh, about me striving right. in my own strength. And in what Peter is doing here and what Paul does is to say, no, like your starting place for living the Christian life is your justification. Um, that the gospel, as as Tim Keller would put it, is not just the ABCs, but the A to Z of the Christian life. That it's yeah. not just the way in, it's the way forward. Um, that we start from Romans 8.1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I need to know that, that I am secure in my justification. My sins have been paid for. I am free, I am forgiven, mm -hmm. I am chosen, I am loved, I'm adopted, I'm kept, I'm secure. That that's the only ground to stand on Yeah. if I'm actually going to live the Christian life. If, if that is in doubt, I'm going to fall into the ditch of performance and insecurity and defeat really quickly. Right. But if I know that I'm kept and I'm loved and I'm justified, um, then I can walk in obedience to Christ in the power that he supplies through that reality. And that's what I think Peter means when he says, having died to sins. Christ died for our sins once and for all. And the mystery of the gospel is that when he died for those sins, I was, I was with him somehow. Yeah. I died with him. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. And, and the struggle of the Christian life is to really believe that. 
It's to really lay hold of that and appropriate that truth into my life. Yeah. So what do you say to the person who really believes they have a genuine faith in Jesus, they, they feel like they've really trusted him with their lives, and they've got this battle with indwelling sin that, that they can't seem to get a grip on, they can't seem to overcome, that seems to constantly beat them down, there seems to be no reprieve from it. What do you say to them? Well, I, I mean, one I'd say um, dead things don't battle. Mm-hmm. So if there's a battle, if there's a real, if there's a real battle against that sin, that's that's signs of life. Yeah, right. Um, and so we can feel defeated really quickly. But if there's a genuine desire to walk in obedience, and there's a fight, you should be really encouraged. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should run to the cross, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think another thing I'd say is John Owen wrote a, it's a, it's a hard read. <laughs> he was a Puritan, yes. um, and he wrote a book called the mortification of sin. Mm-hmm. You know, there's this famous line in there that says, kill sin or it'll be killing you. Yeah. Um, you know, there is no neutral stance with sin. If we're not actively contending against it, it is actively coming at us. Mm-hmm. The world, the flesh, and the devil are actively coming at us, and so we have to recognize that we're in a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that Owen talks about in that book is um, he uses the language of false mortification, mm-hmm. which is this idea that we can fool ourselves that we're fighting sin, but we're actually leaving footholds, and we're actually leaving back doors and side entries for sin in our lives. And so one of the things that I would I would encourage someone who feels really trapped or struggling is, um, are you making every effort to kill this sin? Mm-hmm. Are you leaving are you leaving opportunity there? Um, you know, what does it look like? Jesus said, you know, and if that sounds drastic, Jesus used language like if your right eye causes you to <laughs> sin, gouge it out. You know, you know, I mean, you know. People go, well, that's a metaphor. Well, well, it means something, though, right? It's a metaphor that means something. He's saying take whatever drastic measure you have to to kill sin because you'd rather go maimed into heaven than whole-bodied into hell. I mean, that's that's what Jesus is saying. And so I think fighting sin is something that we take far too lightly a lot of times. And ultimately, the other thing that I would say is, like, um, this is rooted in a belief that Jesus is better that the reason why we fight sin is because we believe that there's reward in following Jesus. We actually believe that there's an emptiness in caving into that sin. Yeah. Um, and so we're fighting for our joy, ultimately. Mm-hmm. Now, it's hard to see in the moment. Um, you know, C.S. Lewis said that we're far too easily pleased. Right. Um, that we trade in a holiday at the sea for, for playing with mud pies oftentimes. Yeah. Um, we make... You know, we make sin, uh, you know, our entertainment and our satisfaction is mud pies compared to the holiday that Jesus is offering us by walking with him. And so we have to renew our minds. And so, I mean, part of what I was trying to get at in this sermon is we have to rehearse the gospel, not only, you know, our justification and, and, and who we are in Christ, but the gospel of joy. That, that Jesus is for us. He's not against us. He's not holding out on us. 
that he's inviting us into the good life when he invites us to follow him in obedience. Um, and so the battle of the Christian life is to believe, to believe the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's super convicting and challenging. I knew you were going to bring up that, that sermon on the Mount text. Always think about Jesus and do I take my sin seriously enough? Uh, but also really comforting. And I think, you know, I think what we'd want any listener walking away with today is that, you know, if you're in Christ, your flesh is no longer the ruling power of your life, no longer the dominant reality, wisdom, governing force of your life. It's really good news that Jesus not only set us free from the penalty of sin, but he set us free from the tyranny of sin, the power of sin, um, that we have a new power source and you know, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the Holy Spirit. Right. That that would be the other thing that I would say is that when Christ forgives you, he fills you with his spirit. And the Holy Spirit in you is greater than any sin or temptation. Right. And that we can submit to the spirit and walk by the spirit and not gratify the desires of the flesh. That is a reality. That is a hope um, that we're given through the power of the Holy Spirit at work in us. Well, if you're listening to this, we hope that encourages you today. We hope that you feel free to live in the real power of the gospel, the power of the cross, to follow in the steps of Jesus. We'll see you next week. If you want to find out more about City Life Church or have any questions about the kinds of things we talked about today, you can head over to citylifechurch.org and fill out a digital connect card. We'd love to reach out and stay in touch with you. Thanks for listening.